Hey there, I'm Nikki Milne, high school dropout and ex-hairdresser and salon owner turned PR and marketing expert and founder of the Peth Collective PR Agency. The Passion to Profit podcast is a conversational business podcast with a focus on marketing and PR to help business owners scale successfully, acquire more customers, increase your profits and become that desired go-to brand in your industry. So open your notepad on your phone, get out your pens and paper. You don't want to miss any of the following tips, tricks, and strategies that you're about to experience on the Passion to Profit podcast. Let's get started. Welcome to the Passion to Profit podcast. Well, today we're changing things up and it's a little different. I have asked Celeste and Paige, who work for me, to interview me. I do not know the questions they're about to ask. We're all just saying that we're feeling a little bit nervous because this is changing things up from the way that we normally do things. But that's what I always recommend in business. Do something different if you want to get a different result. So I'm going to start with having a chat to Paige. Paige has worked for me for just over around four years now. Do you want to share how you came to learn about the Perth Collective and what it was like in those early days of actually coming on board and discovering what it was all about and meeting me? Yeah, absolutely. So I first heard about the Perth Collective and you from the Curtin Public Relations Student Chapter event where you spoke at. And I think a lot of girls my age actually watched those stories that they put up on their Instagram account and they were like, oh my goodness, who is this Nikki? (laughs) What is she telling us? So you were speaking a lot about interning at that event. And then, so you told us all these tips and tricks and then I actually sent you an email using those tips and tricks to ask if I could have an internship and you can remember it. Whereas you came back to me like five minutes later and were like, yes, I've done an event on Thursday. Can you do it? And I was sitting at my job and I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? <laughs> and then it was a beautiful, beautiful event down at the foreshore for Sparkling White Smile. And it was amazing that that event went pretty viral. And I guess that's you really set the expectation of what the Perth Collective was about um, after that event. I just thought you were firstly incredible and yeah. there was incredible businesses there, but also the level of events that you deliver. And then from there, yeah, I just kept interning and then finally got a job. Yeah. So Paige, actually that very first event, you're exactly right. I spoke at a curtain PR event to the students expressing how we get applications for interns every single day of the week. And to me, they're a boring standard. If you want a PR internship, you have to stand out, you have to do something, and it's not going to be good enough in this agency just to send a resume and say, hey, I want to work for you. So you did exactly what I told you. And then, as you know now, I reply to every email very quickly. (laughs) And I throw things at people and either you sink or you swim, and very few people swim, and Paige and Celeste obviously two that did swim. And that very first event was at the foreshore, and it was incredible. It was different, and you got there and you unhelped me pack that truck full of furniture. (laughs) We had to get there and put this event together in two hours because that was all the permit allowed on the city of Perth foreshore. So we got there, we unpacked the track, all the guests come, we fed them, did the whole event, then packed it all up like we were never there. It was a high-pressure, intense event, that one, um, and it did go viral and it was incredible, but you completely survived the test. Yes. And <laughs> from there you went on to intern with me, I think, for about eight weeks or ten yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah, sort of around that. And then I think we got a bit disrupted with COVID yeah. Um, and then, yeah, finally came on board. Two, probably two years ago. Yeah, as in a freelance position. Yeah. So contracting in, working, you know, a few hours for me each week and that gradually built to being, you know, 20 hours a week. And then as of January this year, it's actually a full-time position. So that's been amazing. And then Celeste, you've been on board for about 
18 months now, I think we worked out, maybe closer to two years. So how did you first come across the Perclip? Yeah, so my story is pretty similar to Paige's in a lot of ways. I can remember you giving that speech at Curtin as well. I think I, I still have. Back there. Yeah, <laughs> you do. I think I've still got in my phone, in my notes, the tips you gave out for that, applying for an internship, and I can remember always referring back to them. And then I think from that, I just followed your profiles on Instagram and always seen the events you did, the brands you worked with. And I think in Perth, to actually see an agency working with brands that you recognize and love can be quite rare. A lot of the scene can be a little bit more dull and that's what I'd found in my past internships. So I remember being like, Perth Collective is a place to be. If I want to like work somewhere amazing and hip and cool. So as soon as I finished my degree, I was like, Nikki, are you looking for people? And I think that was the thing. You had applied for three internships over a course of two or three years, interestingly enough. And by the third one, I actually said to Paige, this Celeste girl seems super keen. She's like, she doesn't take no for an answer. She's emailed me for the third time looking for an internship. I think we should give her a go because I love that determination that a no is not a no. Like that's very much my nature. So that definitely stood out when you were emailing, wanting that position. And obviously as of January this year, you've become full-time as well. So Pep Collective now operates obviously with me full-time and then um, Celeste and Paige, but to be honest, the agency, we've kind of switched up the model and majority of the client accounts are now managed by Celeste and Paige. That's such a credit to the girls because I obviously get involved when I need to, but day-to-day running, doing their socials, doing all their marketing, the girls are brilliant and completely handle all those client accounts, which has just been such a huge relief of my back after working so hard for eight years, seven, eight years, trying to establish this business that the clients now trust them as much as they trust me. So today they're going to hit me with some questions. I have no idea what they've got in store for me. I'm quite interested, a little nervous. <laughs> um, so do you want to go go for it? Yeah, let's get yeah. started. So our first question for you is we're both 23. Take us back to 23-year-old Nikki. What were you doing? Oh, good question. <laughs> I was living in a friend's on her couch in Fremantle. I had nowhere to live. I had no money and I had all my clothes and bedding and everything I owned in storage. I didn't have parents in Perth. It was an incredibly hard time. Um, And I was going from job to job. I was working at Tiger Lil's, the bar in the city. (laughs) And that year as well, I bought, well, I got fired from a job, a hairdressing job, because I was too opinionated. And then (laughs) I bought the salon in Subiaco with my parents in partnership. And I was working at Tiger Lil's from 6pm to about 3am in the morning. And then I would go to the salon from about 8.30, 9 o'clock to 5pm. And I would do that five days a week. So I slept for maybe two or three hours for probably the first eight months of owning that salon because I worked the two jobs, which I quite often forget to talk about. And as you and I know, I don't sleep much anyway. (laughs) And especially at 23, (laughs) at 23, I slept even less than I do now. So yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. And, you know, it was brilliant because Tiger Lils was my social life and I was getting Mm -hmm. paid for it. But then I was also using that money to build the business, the salon in Subiaco. And it was just an adrenaline time. Like it was awesome. I don't regret it. And I loved working with people at Tiger Lils and serving. And, you know, for those that don't know, it's a huge club here in Perth. It opened that year. I was part of the opening team. I think it's got about the license capacity is 1,500 people of that venue. So wow. it's huge. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 So I ended up running the restaurant. That was my role. So they quickly worked out I was good with people. So and diverse, dispersed a lot of situations that were arising in the restaurant because it's a big club. Um, so within a few, probably two months, I was in charge of running the restaurant. So that would be my job to facilitate that. Wow. And so how long were you there before you moved to the salon full time? Probably eight 
or nine months. Yeah. And I I just had a, I was getting a bit tired (laughs) Um, and I no longer needed, it took me nine to 10 months to get the salon actually to a point where I could earn some money off it. So when I no longer needed the money from Tiger Lils, I then quit that. So that was what I was doing at 23. It was a great year. I loved it. (laughs) A little bit different to our lifestyle. So obviously you've always been a little bit of a hustler and the hairdressing salon was your first business. Did you think that was where you ended up? Like, was that your dream job at that point? Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) I hated hairdressing. I've always been very open about this. I really despised hairdressing as a trade. I always wanted to do marketing and I never, I didn't know what PR was, so that wasn't even on the table, but I knew to have a business, I had to have a skill. And, you know, I dropped out of high school and everyone was doing marketing and no one had jobs. And hairdressing, and no insult to any hairdressers out there, it's a pretty simple course. So I breezed through it, got it, did the skill. I was good at it. But my passion was marketing and building the business. And by buying a bankrupt business in Subiaco, that gave me the chance to actually do all the marketing, build a business and prove that I actually knew what I wanted. But the trouble come in the later years when I no longer, I really despised cutting hair and I had a huge client list and I could not get off the floor. So I use the strategies that I teach in here that, you know, you increase your prices, but my prices got up to $260 a haircut and I was still fully booked three or four days a week. And I was like, this is not going to matter how much I charge. People still want me. And I just could not work out how to get off the floor because if I could have actually managed it, completely and not cut hair or not done colors or extensions then I probably would have been a lot happier but in saying that the staff were a nightmare (laughs) so if I could have a business you know it's a really hard thing but the the salon it was yeah it, it sort of no hairdressing was absolutely not my passion at all but I was good at it so I made the most of it. How did you pick it? Were you just flicking through like a tape book or something? Or no, you- no. My cousin actually, he was dating a hairdresser and they need in Albany yeah. um, at Spence <laughs> Park at that okay. salon up there. And then they said, oh, we need someone just a Saturday morning girl. It's a bit of money if you want to come and do it. So I did it. And then I was like, awesome. This means that I don't have to go to school. <laughs> it suddenly clicked at 16, 15 or 16. I was like, if I do an apprenticeship, I can get out of school right now. So I got offered an apprenticeship, but my parents wouldn't let me accept it. Okay. Yeah, so they made me go back to school for another whole year because I couldn't drive and that would mean that anyway, in the country there's quite a distance between this where we lived in and then town. And there's no public transport. There's no public yeah. transport. So I had to turn it down, which I was pretty furious about, but I went back and did my year 11 TE. I'm not sure what they call that anymore, <laughs> but it was TE back then. Yeah. And I actually never, ever found out my results. So I have no idea if I passed or not. I didn't care. I was like, I am out of there. And yeah, yeah, so then I took it out. So really it was a solution to getting me out of school because I hated school. Okay. Interesting. So your expertise comes from business ownership rather than a uni degree. Um, We both have uni degrees, so it's a bit of a different dynamic in the agency. What do you think sets you apart? And do you think people have ever questioned you based on your credentials and not having that degree? Yeah, great question. That's a loaded (laughs) question. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it's been my defining point that I don't have a degree because I've had to work 10 times harder to prove to people what I know is correct and what I'm doing is working. So there's a lot of case studies, there's a lot of proof. 
And I mean, I think having a degree is brilliant and you both have a degree and we all balance each other out. You know, I quite often come in here to the studio and go, okay, I need a degree brain. How do we do this? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never done this because I don't have a degree and I don't know how to work this. So, you know, as a team, we work so well together. But I think it's really hard now to actually establish a marketing or PR agency. If you mm-hmm. girls were to go out on your own night now, it's such a saturated like competitive space Mm -hmm. and I just feel right now is such a challenging time so because you've got the degree in one way you'll be very much shaped into that marketing agency ownership but then because I didn't have the degree I have flexibility to do events I have flexibility to do so much more than be pigeonholed into a small um a niche niche, yeah and no one knows what to expect from me one time I'm doing a book the next time I'm doing an event next time I'm doing a catwalk (laughs) event next thing I'm like going off to New York with the client because I play by my own rules whereas I think when you um have a degree people have certain expectations on how you should run that agency how you should scale it which I have no idea I just do it as I go because there's no one influencing me because I didn't know the way it was meant to be done yeah, awesome. I love sure. that. Yeah. yeah. And I think Paige and I can both vouch that what we've learned from within the agency is like a whole new skill set to what you learn at uni. Like 100%. it's insane how different it is. And the actual real world skills are so unique. Yeah. So I think it's amazing that you have that from business ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think that's what ultimately come because I obviously, when I started the Perth Collective, I wanted to have a marketing agency, but I knew no one would give me an opportunity or a job because I didn't have a degree. I had nothing to prove that I knew what I was doing. So I knew if I could build a community and then share with them what I know and how I do things, then it would earn me the respect and authority by just showing people. And I think that's a forgotten art a lot. A lot of people, you know, even last night I was helping someone on Facebook. She said she was a social media expert. She had a 1,000 followers. And I was like, so no offence, but what makes you a social media expert? Where is your proof? Where's your case studies? Where's your people? Where's all those things, because obviously your following is showing that you're not a social media expert. And she'd been on the platform for three months oh. on Instagram. And I woke up this morning and she deleted the post. So I think me calling her out went, oh, my God, and she felt very guilty about it. But my point was you can't say you're an expert unless you have proof that you're an expert. And that was something that took me five years to gain. And now people know that we do do what we say and we have authority and we deliver what we agree to. But if I didn't have consistent social proof coming through in those first few years, I would have disappeared. So I think that's a really important thing at the moment. There is so many marketing experts, social media experts. You know, there's an expert in everything, a tenfold over, that if you are an expert, make sure you can prove you are. Make sure you can prove that you actually are delivering and are good at what you say you are. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think this is an interesting one. We want to know what is your number one pet peeve in the industry? I think it's backstabbing. (laughs) I went for a big job once and to be honest, I'd done their competitor on a hundred million, a hundred grand job. Um, It was a high rise apartment that we launched and it was incredible. And, you know, the event was a hundred grand, not to mention the campaign we managed and their competitor come to me after I'd finished that and brought me in for an interview and said that, um, you know, they're interviewing multiple agencies and um, my competitor said that I was, Gotten the word. Do you remember what I told you? Uh, And I was the underdog. That was the word. Um, He said, You're the underdog. And what was your thoughts on that? That you have no degree and you're the underdog. And I was like, (laughs) Are you kidding me? I just launched a million dollar or what was a five million dollar project. And you're like a million dollar project and you're calling me the underdog. But I didn't say anything at the time. And I kind of regret that. 
But I was like, well, you know, my answer was we'll look at the proof of our clients and the clients that we keep and repeatedly do work for. If that's not enough, this is not the right position for me. And I walked out and I didn't get that job, but I just thought, wow, if the other competitors of mine call me an underdog in front of a potential client, that says so much more about them than me. Clearly I am a threat to them, but I was like, that's really unnecessary. And so I know I've taught you girls this, but if we're competing for a job, you know, and I question, you know, is an update on whether we've got the job or not? And someone comes back and says, look, we've given it to your competitor. I always answer that email with, well, that's a great option as well. They're a fantastic agency. I try to take the higher road. So I just don't understand why others in this industry don't, you know, I just think that says more about them than it says about us. Yeah, definitely. And it's such a small industry as well. And I think what I've learned the most in the last years working with you is that Perth is tiny like we're both from Melbourne but Perth is just a small so I think it's so important that you don't burn bridges and um, yeah yeah, you have respect for everyone else in the industry as well and I think that's ultimately one of the clients a few times because they've gone with another agency got six weeks in eight weeks in and it's been quite a disaster or not delivering the results and they always come back and say to us look you know you didn't get the job first time around, but there is opportunity for you to come on board now because it hasn't worked out. And at least then we've ended on a high note with that client as well and they feel they can come back to us and approach us again about taking on their work. Yeah, definitely. So um, slight change of tune, but some of the most successful people in the world have really extensive morning rituals. Can you share insight on what your morning routine looks like as a mother of three and wife of the firefighter? Well, yep. Yeah, it's chaos. So I kind of get woken up anywhere between 6 and 6.30 and all the boys, I've got three sons, they all climb in bed and they all jump and carry on and want breakfast and want toys built and everything. So then I kind of get up, make them breakfast, get them organised for school. Um, If my husband's home, he'll help, but I'm a real speedy person in the morning. I have a system, (laughs) I'll make all the beds, I'll make all the lunches, clean everything, have them all ready by 7.30. I then let them watch TV for half an hour so I can go get ready. And then we're usually out the door by eight. If my husband's home, it's much slower. If my husband's home, I try and go from go for a walk around 6, 6.30 in the morning for an hour, but it doesn't always work. The boys are quite clingy to me in the morning and they want their mum around, but it's kind of something they've got to learn and that hour is my time out where I listen to podcasts and stuff and I'm such a better person for it. But reality is waking up with three sons that are not going to let you walk out that door. <laughs> so in an ideal world I would get up and go for a walk I'd come home read the paper have my coffee and I guess I always always check my emails first thing when I wake up in the morning I check social media check my emails which I read a stat recently that 85% of people now before they get out of bed read their emails and check their social media which is mind-blowing isn't it 85% of people so yeah that's probably something I do every morning but my reality versus what I would like to do each morning is completely different at this stage (laughs) of my life Okay, what do you think people's biggest misconception is about you? Oh, that's a good one. Probably that I'm tough, maybe, which I am. (laughs) I got brought up in a very tough household. You know, nothing was ever good enough. So I was constantly having to redo things and retry and all the rest of it. Um, But then I guess with my children, I'm quite soft because I don't want that for them growing up because I think my parents, yeah, it was a really hard, I mean, it taught me insane resilience and that's why nothing is right. I'm constantly questioning things and being better. But um, when it comes to my children, I'm a lot more relaxed and a lot softer with them than probably people would expect because of my childhood. I don't want to repeat 
that because um, although it gave me resilience and stuff like that, at times it can be quite a big burden because nothing is ever good enough for me. You know, I'm never going to reach the peak because there is no peak. It, I feel constantly this burden to keep trying and being better and harder mm-hmm. and um, growing more, and which is such a burden and pain to actually be installed as a child they never left me and you know what I'm like (laughs) and I'm like yeah that's good that's not enough but that was my whole childhood so I'm very much mindful of not actually putting that onto my children so I guess a misconception could be that I'm quite tough and and I am tough and strict in certain ways like you know my kids have 7 p.m bedtime and there is no negotiating on that (laughs) but in other ways I'm a lot more relaxed if they are not excelling at school I'm not pressuring them to excel at school because clearly I didn't go on to uni and um, you know other things I'm like well is it really going to matter in four years that I didn't eat veggies today <laughs> is it really going to matter if they're shy I was two seconds compared to five minutes or whatever so I'm a lot more relaxed about things like that yeah, yeah. it's interesting how like childhood sort of paves the way and how you want to parent or what you think you would be as a parent and then what you are actually like when you um, do have kids. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting, like you have to raise your children to be incredibly resilient, but I also think that it's nice to be content. Like, you know, I hope that I raise my children that they are content if they choose their drink career and they have their nice house and can afford their mortgage and they have children and are settled well, that should be enough, yeah, whereas exactly. I've got this thing instilled with me. I know it is never going to be enough. If I have a million-dollar boat and I turn a million dollars a year, it will never be enough. And my husband says that to me. You know, if we run $5 million tomorrow, <laughs> you would still work exactly like you do. And I'm like, I would. I totally would because it's never going to be enough. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, a little bit of a different one as well. What do you think your biggest failure is, business or otherwise, and what did you learn or how has that shaped you? Yeah. I think the biggest wasn't failure, but it was a learning curve um, doing the magazine because that cost an absolute fortune. And I validated it publicly and then wondered how I was going to come up with $10,000. And it was at a pivotal point in the Perth Collective, we weren't making money. I didn't have any staff. And I mean, it could have been a disaster. It could have really sunk the agency and pulled the name down, the brand that I worked so hard for. But then I'm very used to being backed in a corner and coming out fighting. So then I created that membership, which was $600 per person or per business. And that in turn got you a feature in the magazine and a membership with me for 12 months. So within two weeks, I'd paid the $10,000 I needed to raise. But was it financially a great decision? No. Did I get any? I got a lot of publicity out of it, but I made no money out of it. But then I went and did it again. <laughs> so that was really a public uh you know, a passion project and I absolutely loved it and I don't regret it, but as probably I didn't need to do it. And at the time, which I don't know if I've been told you girls, but my son Kai was born, my second one, mm-hmm. and he was about eight, nine weeks old and he had to have an operation on his throat. So I actually launched that idea just as he was about to go into hospital because I needed something to distract me. And so I would actually write that most of the time from hospital. I'd be in there all day, 24 hours a day with him when he had his operation on his throat because he couldn't breathe, so he had to operate. Wow. He was only nine weeks old, so he spent a lot of time in um, high-intensive care in hospital at PMH, and so I'd be in there writing the magazine. And then when he come home, he cried nonstop for nine months. He did not sleep at all. So I didn't sleep for nine months because he had severe reflux and floppy larynx and all the things that were associated with it so he just screamed for nine months straight until he started sitting up once the children the baby starts sitting up that's when the airways start to clear so he yeah I just nursed him and wrote that 
the Salted magazine, the first edition during that whole nine-month period, and it made me survive because I couldn't sleep, but it gave me something to focus on in three or four o'clock. And I remember our neighbours going to my husband, what does Nikki Note do? She's always up at 3 a.m. <laughs> my husband's like, oh, she's got a like, business. They're like, oh, she like every time they'd get up to go to the toilet, the light at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock would be on in my office and that's where I'd have Kai next to me and I'd he'd be crying and, you know, not being able to breathe and I'd be writing the magazine. Wow. So, you know, a lot of things I do as a coping mechanism in business that helped me escape the trauma that was going on with having a sick child. Yeah, um, I think that's a real testament to your nature as well to have um, that magazine and be, you know, $10,000 in debt essentially yeah. and then have to flip it to the membership. And then I think as well your nature is you're a very hard worker. Often if you have a day off, God forbid, you still be on emails. <laughs> You used to be on emails, um, replying to everyone. So I think that's just very much in your nature that you're, you know, very driven in your work. And yeah. As well. And I think that's had to change a lot this year. And especially with you both coming on board, you've taken a massive burden off with me because, you know, there was a time when even in January of this year, I went away down mm-hmm. south and we had a major client blow up with um, in the media and I was in a place that was no reception or hard to get reception and you both had to step up and it was brilliant. You did that. But it just showed me that I can't continue at the rate I am. I'm getting older and I have more children now and all the rest of it. So I needed to expand the agency at the start of this year to actually maybe I won't earn as much moving forward and maybe I will. I mean, I certainly am not working anywhere near the capacity I was prior to um, you two starting. So, I mean, that that's probably a big change for me in the last six months is letting go and trusting and you're doing an incredible job but you know having that ability to take a day off and not answer an email which is foreign to me yes. but I'm getting yeah. better I think I only replied to two yesterday so I'm always reachable <laughs> yeah yeah so as you said you've expanded the agency with Paige and I both being full-time this year so things are kind of moving forward and scaling do you have like a five-year plan or where do you kind of see things going? Yeah, I hope I can stitch you up forever. <laughs> Make you work for me forever. No, um, I kind of don't want to get the agency any bigger. Like I love what it's at now. We may have an internal to come in, maybe one more person in the next five years. But I just love the dynamic now. We all get along really well. And I think it's interesting that you two didn't really know each other before you started here. And now yeah. you just get on so well. And I know how rare that is to find. And the same with me. I get along with you. And I've had hundreds and hundreds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can honestly say you're the best two I've ever had out of, well, probably closer to thousands of stuff. And then I, like I've spoke to you about, I want to work in the agency three days a week and then work on my online courses two days a week. And maybe that will go to being in the agency three days a week and one day in my online courses and a day day off a week so I'm only working four days a week because the kids are going to need me now as they get older but I don't want to scale it too big again like that's yeah. I've been there I had seven staff actually in the agency only four or five years ago and then I've scaled it down when I had my next child and then I've scaled it back up again but I think um, we kind of had a really nice sweet spot now where we take clients that we can keep and we get to pick and choose the minute you get too many staff I lose that ability to be able to choose whether we take clients on because it becomes about the money, not about the client. And at the moment, we're not in that position. But I know if I stretched myself another two employees, it would be about the money. And that's a horrible place for a business to be. Absolutely. So how did you know you were ready to take the next step in points, Lester and I? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Apart from the fact I didn't ever have any time off. I think my husband was getting a little bit of jack of me being just so constantly busy and 
We took on a premises as well, which meant the flexibility to have full-time staff in here. And, you know, we just got too busy, which was an amazing problem to have. But I needed, we were scaling so quickly, I needed to be able to have two people in here. I could trust that the clients trusted and that we were there all the time. You know, temporary staff aren't going to fix it anymore. And you both had proven yourself time and time again over the two years period earlier so I think that really it was the right time because there were so many things lining up. We got this great space and then you two were prepared to go full time, you know, which sounds like a strange thing to do because COVID is still very much out there and it was a little bit of a risk, but, you know, we're tr- trucking through when we actually ended up taking a heap more clients on. So it's actually a really perfect sweet spot now and probably the best I've been in in seven, eight years. And sometimes like it's just a door opening. So like getting two employees and then, you know, you get more clients and it's just gradually yeah. grows. And then, yeah, just and then I've had the ability to actually spend more time recruiting clients and actually meeting with clients. It was getting to the stage I'd just have to shut down everyone that inquired because we just didn't have the capacity. And that was a real heartbreaking thing to do because people wanted to work with us but we weren't taking on new clients and I was turning away these clients and they were going to other agencies and coming back to us because they were really unhappy. So by expanding, I knew we had the option then that I could actually have more discovery calls with people and I could spend more time talking to people about what they wanted, whereas before that was just a cutthroat, no, (laughs) we can't take you on. (laughs) Yeah, so speaking of stuff, you've been your own boss for so long now. (laughs) Do you think you could ever go back to working for somebody else? No. (laughs) I probably, I always said I'd love, like, you know, now I'm getting a little bit older, but, you know, I always loved the hospitality game. I thrive off being in a bar or cafe or restaurant, helping people and all that. Like I, and I've always said I wanted a cafe or restaurant, but, you know, if we've got clients in hospitality right now, there's no way in hell I don't want a hospitality venue. And, you know, I I think that dream has sailed, (laughs) especially after the last 12 months of watching our hospitality clients go through hell with all COVID. But I think, well, I guess I think the agency as we are working for other people. Yeah. Um, so I think every day we're working for other people. And if even so, it's more of a um, harder thing because if we don't do well, we don't keep that account. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm always driving you. Have we done our reports? Have we emailed them? Are we constantly keeping in contact? Because it's up to us to keep that client. And I think I could work for someone else. And of course you would if you had to. There's no, yeah. I would have no problem there. But before I started this agency and when I'd in between leaving my last the salon and then starting this agency, I applied for jobs at Witcher and Country Road and all that. And I didn't even get a look in because I felt I was too over you know, qualified and all, you know, and not that I had a qualification, but you know what I mean? So that was a really hard thing because I was like, I could do this job blindfolded. Why won't we give me a checkout job? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. And I had no experience in that, but I was like, I've had eight staff from 2000 products that own retail products in my business, yet you won't let me have a simple job at Country Road or Witchery. So that was really frustrating. And I felt like I was back at high school again, but yeah, I could always go back to working for someone else if I had to. I'm never, ever going to be below that. Yeah, cool. So tell us about one influential person in your life and the impact they've had on you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you both know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would, without doubt, have to be Roxy Desenko, um, meeting her through a chance meeting and then her actually opening the door for me to email her and give me mentorship around what I should be charging. Maybe she saw similarities in my story and her story, being not without a PR degree, but also making big waves and um, I guess offending the competition. (laughs) She definitely noticed that in me. So she was unbelievable in terms of the mentorship and then gave me the opportunity to actually promote her in conversation event here in Western Australia, which really was a pivotal point in my 
career in the marketing and PR industry because up until that stage, though I tried my hardest, I wasn't respected by my peers, by other people that were in marketing and PR in Perth as a key player. So when she fired her current agency, which was actually probably the biggest player in Western Australia to move to me, that set a lot of mouths talking. And then when we delivered the job and excelled it and sold the event out three times over and I got her endless radio and PR opportunities and media features, I think that's when people started to take notice. So I'm so grateful for her because she opened doors, but she also mentored and guided me and lover or hater. There is actually a soft side to her as well. <laughs> and um, if you're involved in that soft side, um, yeah, she's amazing. And, you know, we still from time to time keep in contact and she still refers clients. And some of our biggest clients have come from referrals from Roxy. So I'll be forever grateful for someone that was so incredibly busy being able to spend time mentoring me without charge and with for guidance, yeah. We talk about a lot about authority um, day-to-day and in the industry as well. Do you think... Um, being Foxy's essentially publicist in WA really set that tone of who Nikki Milne is and kind of shocked everyone a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think because we're quite similar, I've come from nowhere, Yeah, you know, no background in it, and I've come out with being quite loud and big scale because when I burst onto the scene, I burst onto the scene with Peth Collective, which scaled to 50,000 followers. I threw events and I did that. So I'm very much in your face like Roxy is that, you know, everyone needs to know about Nikki Milne like Roxy does. And we do all these publicity stunts like, you know, the South Perth foreshore and the aeroplane hangers and things like that that get her noticed, which get us noticed. So I think, yeah, absolutely, that gave us authority because it's not in PR about how much money you're making. It's about how much attention you can draw to your agency. And even, you know, we're going through quite a stage at the moment in the agency over the last six weeks because obviously COVID is running rampant in WA and everyone's just a bit nervous. But I literally walked in here on Monday of, Monday and said to you guys, right, we need to do PR for the agency. What are we going to do? <laughs> because we need to get back in front of everyone again, just like we did at the start of Perth Collective and we've done it a few times throughout the agency. But everyone's on an unsure foot at the time, at the moment and backing off. Will we move forward and we blow it up and do events and we've got some incredible stuff happening that we kind of come up with in the strategy session that will put us back at the forefront of everyone's mind. So, yeah, I think authority is amazing. She certainly helped me, um, but also then credibility on time and time again proving that we deliver what we say we will. And there's nothing better than that than actually getting clients to say, well, that was amazing. And they're still with us two, three, four. I think Mercedes now we've worked with for over six years, yeah, you know, and they could have a choice of any agency they wanted. But if they're ever using an agency, they come to us. Mm-hmm. And same with Westfield. Yeah. Consistently getting results. Very impressive. Yes. <laughs> so our final question, we've got a little bit of a hypothetical situation. Yeah. So we've got a business owner that only has budget to invest in one service for the year. Given like the current climate and what we're seeing at the moment, would you recommend that they invest in a new website, invest that money into marketing? So so that be social media, maybe ads, getting management for their Instagram or self-educate through online courses? Can we have a D? Yeah, or well, none of the above. <laughs> none of the above. Nikki, that's a good test. Yeah, I always break the rules. You should have known I was not going to give you an A, B, or C. That is not me. I don't do A, B, or C. C's. I would actually encourage them to get a mentor, a business yeah, mentor, someone that can actually 
mentor them through all of those things because we think they might need a website and when they come to us and go, I want a new website, I look and go, no, 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 you actually need to fix your business model and you need to fix your logo and branding and you need to do this and your pricing needs revised long before we build that website. So I think that's where if you get a good business mentor, they will actually break everything down. So when I get my mentoring clients in, we start at the bottom and we rip everything apart and I deep dive into everything with them long before we worry about the exterior. We're repairing the interior, which is their business model, how they're currently treating their clients, you know, why they're not expanding. And I think that's just such a better investment of money because it's going to get to the root of exactly where you need help rather than patching it with social media and website management. All that comes later and we love doing that and we've got a lot of clients in that, but we kind of had to heal them before we were actually able to do that part. And, you know, we do that. Like when we get them in, some people say we polish brands, but we're kind of healing them. We're healing all the bits that are not working and we're fixing them. And then we're getting them ready for PR and marketing. So I think mentoring, um, and some people say coaching, mentoring is better, I believe, because it's someone that's walked before you and they don't need to have a strict coaching program. Whereas mentoring with me is very fluid. I go through what exactly I think, and that can mean completely different things to each other. To different clients. So I think, you know, if I had, you know, that kind of money, that's exactly one-to-one mentoring is where I'd be investing it right now, long before refreshing a website or anything else. Definitely. And I think also a lot of people probably don't realise that people come to us for public relations, but before that we can often say no, give us three months to whip you and your brand into shape and then we'll take you on for PR. A lot of people probably don't realise that that's something we do before yeah absolutely we don't talk about that a lot and I'm about to bring out a new online course about it um which is yeah exactly that growth because you need to be able to growth and sustain the growth long before you start your PR and marketing campaign and most businesses we come to us we actually go you can't, you're not ready for PR we can't do PR and marketing because your systems in the back end are not going to cope with the traffic we're going to send your way and you're going to lose customers because you're not ready for that many people so we will, like you say, go in three months before, we'll clean up all their branding, clean up their pricing, do everything like that. And then even train teams or try um, mentor the owner back into a position where they're ready to scale. And a lot of people come to us going, you know, I want to grow my business bigger, but they actually don't realize they have a lot of internal program problems first. They need to fix and heal before they can actually scale. So, I mean, that's something we love doing. And now you girls have got very good at it as well. We see them for what they are and we can be harsh. Yeah. <laughs> we can be really, really harsh and we're straight out and I'm incredibly harsh but if you're not prepared for that I don't think you're ready for to grow and that means when we are actually PRing and marketing them in a grander scale we're proud of them and to be associated with them but a lot of clients we won't take on until they let us polish them and prepare them for systems and scaling because it's also our reputation that we're putting which is pretty big to those clients and it gives them confidence as well that we can deliver them the best results in the public relations capacity if we can do all those things beforehand to yeah, yeah. Nice yeah. and if PR marketing is bringing them a thousand leads in a month but they're not converting them exactly that's not our problem you've got a conversion problem so if we uh it would be dishonest of us to take them on when we knew the conversions were going to fall down mm-hmm. so we've got to say look we can send you thousands of new clients per month but if your website's not converting if your prices are wrong if your internal systems are wrong if you even your staff are not doing what they should do what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you're going to get one shot at this and you probably only got budget for one round of PR and marketing. You have to be prepared to actually have all those things. So when those thousand people come in, you can convert at least, you know, 700 of them into paying customers. But if you miss one of those steps, 
you're going to lose those thousand people and you'll never get them back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all we have. <laughs> oh, that was so bad. <laughs> Thanks for us on. Oh, no, and thank you for being incredible employees. I couldn't do this without you and you've just been such a joy to have in the agency. So thank you for being honest and sharing your questions and I'm sure a lot of people got a lot out of this talk today. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you loved today's episode. I am so passionate about sharing the stories of other business owners and passing on my knowledge and experience from the last 17 years of business ownership. If you enjoyed the Passion to Profit podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review or you shared it to your Insta stories. Don't forget to tag me at Nikki Milne underscore. In the show notes below, you'll find a link to my new step-by-step marketing audit for your business. Together, we're going to audit your current digital assets, identify your weaknesses, and you'll discover the solutions you need to accelerate growth in your business right now. And did I mention that I am letting you have this complimentary for a limited time only? It is valued at $297. So what are you waiting for? Go to nikkimilne.com forward slash business audit or hit the link in the show notes below. I'll see you there.